0: Welcome to OAC Vancouver's podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We believe that Jesus is needed and relevant for people in Vancouver today. The message of God's love and promise of wholeness was destined to be experienced within a faith community that worships, studies scripture, and prays together. We warmly welcome you to journey with us towards greater connection, purpose, and peace. We'll be sharing our recorded services and conversations with health and wellness experts. Enjoy.
1: For those of you who are listening and don't have a visual on us i want you to relax there are no paws in the pews today we are outdoors we are outside and so that's where you might also catch a bit of a breeze in our audio recording now whether we are in or out with our dogs there are still going to be some people who say what happening what's happening here today is just wrong it's not right for a church to Go to the dogs. This is an English idiom, and it always means something negative. When something's gone to the dogs, it's gone wrong. It's terrible. It's bad. Um, And they are going to even cite some scripture. I will even uh, not even blink if I hear somebody says, but Jesus in his own words, the red letter words we read in Matthew chapter 7. Said, don't give what is holy to the dogs. They're going to find other Bible texts like Revelation 22, which speaks about the new heaven and the new earth. And they're going to find this passage that says, outside of heaven gates are the dogs, along with the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, idolaters, and everyone who practices falsehood. And of course, of course, you can't forget the text that is maybe the most repeated and most published, the most frequently printed Bible text in the English language, I think is this, Beware of Dogs. It comes straight from Philippians 3, Chapter 2. Now. You will not see the Bible reference or quotation on your beware of dogs signs on fence posts. But we know, especially as uh, dog lovers, that there has to be some other explanation to these texts because just look around, just look at our friends and our family members. We see, we know that these dogs have been entrusted with a special gift, with special purpose in our lives. So often these dogs carry out the ministry of healing. These dogs serve as eyes to the blind, as ears to the deaf. They alert people to seizures. They calm our anxiety. They bring us joy and they help us build patience. God has gifted dogs with such sensitive noses that they can detect bombs, they can sniff out narcotics, cancer, and yes, even COVID. A dog can be a person's best friend and so can dog spelled backwards. I'll give you a minute to register that. A dog can be a person's best friend and today I'm saying so can dog spelled backwards. Is this a coincidence? No, I don't think so. God wants to be our best friend as well, and I think he's embodied that in our canine companions. You know, I grew up in the South Okanagan, and almost every summer since I was five years old, I was climbing up rickety wooden ladders into my neighbor's cherry trees, and I would earn my summer living by tediously balancing on the ladder and reaching out into these branches to carefully select the cherries by the stem because you could not just pick cherries by that ripe, luscious, soft fruit. You're gonna damage it and bruise it. So when you pick cherries, you have to grab them by the base of the stem where it attaches to the branch and you have to delicately place them in the buckets so they don't split or bruise. You cannot shake these trees and just gather what falls down in nets like you would do with so many other crops. You would spoil it that way. Careful, cautious, stem-by-stem cherry picking is the right technique when you want a good cherry harvest but this is not the technique that i recommend when it comes to selecting scripture we are tempted though to just kind of glance or use a word search and go aha that's the verse that's the phrase that gives me the answer i want another name for cherry picking scripture is proof texting and this has often been used in spiritual abuse because you can make the Bible pretty much say anything you want it to and unfortunately I grew up learning our doctrines this way my own baptism Bible studies were conducted by just giving me a whole collection of Bible texts to back up some theological claim and no one ever taught me how to dig deeper to the historical considerations or even examine what was the author's purpose and intent in writing this. And so now in the 21st century, we are speaking to generations that um, have a very high academic bar, that have been trained, and I think trained well to think critically, not just consume and regurgitate information so it's no wonder that our next generations are rejecting some of these teachings that just don't add up so that brings me to one of the goals of this dog days of summer series which is to take some of these bible texts some that seem to mention dogs in a very negative derogatory light and let's employ these skills skills that we would call good hermeneutic skills and make better sense of them. And I hope that in not just increasing your biblical literacy, but increasing your biblical study skills, you'll be able to apply this when you encounter some other challenging and difficult texts. There's some fancy, again, four syllabus words to wrap our lips around. We can talk about this in terms of hermeneutics. We can talk about this in terms of exegesis, but it's the same goal is to kind of tease apart what is the deeper meaning what is the context what is the point you see our job isn't to change scripture to suit us our job is to have scripture change us that's what it was given to do think about exegesis as a careful reading And I think most of you can relate to experiences where you've had to do a careful reading. Think about that time in your youth where your crush wrote you a note. Now today, maybe kids aren't getting a note passed to them, they're getting a text message. But if your heart is falling in love with someone, you hang on every word. But you don't want to just read what you want to hear you really want to know what they meant or maybe you're an employee and you've gotten that email from a client or your boss that seems a little vague you're going to do a careful exegesis of that email because you don't want to respond to what you think they said the truth matters to your boss or to your client you have to do a careful reading because your best response is based on their reality, their experience, their truth, what they're trying to convey, not what you want to interpret and what you want to hear. You have to suspend your own judgment to do a true and responsible exegesis of Scripture. And God doesn't want us to just enjoy a cherry here and there. He wants us to step back and look at the whole tree, the branches, the shape, the size, the history. But there's even more. If a cherry is the text, the book would be the tree. But he's given us an entire orchard, 66 books of scripture that create this volume of wisdom, of encouragement, of truth. And so... Some of these techniques I'm going to share with you, we're going to start small and expand out. Yes, we start with what is the original language. This is why more than the translation that you're reading for your own study, it's, it's next level if you can access some of the free online tools that give you Greek and Hebrew words and the origin of their meaning. Then we have to do more than just a word study. We have to think bigger. What is this whole phrase? What is the whole passage? What is the point of the whole book? Who is the author? What's their history? Who are they writing to, communicating? What's their audience? Because all of that is going to shape the meaning. Here's an example of how just a word study can get it wrong. Uh, Looking at Matthew 7, 6, which says, don't give what's holy to dogs. Uh, I've seen people do a word study. I went on TikTok. It was like, I'm curious, what are people using TikTok for when it comes to Bible study and sharing the message? And someone did the work of going back to the Greek word, kuo. It kind of sounds like kuo, but it's kuo. That's the Greek word for dog. And they looked it up and they said, yeah, this can literally mean a canine. But it also can be this derogatory term of reproach for anyone who's unholy or unclean. And so the TikTok uh, guy just kind of spiraled and said, Look at this Jesus everyone is, um, you know, fanning over. Here's an example where he's using racist, derogatory terminology. What kind of a, a God do you follow? So, a couple lessons from this example. One, Don't build your theology on TikTok. And two, exegesis has to go beyond just a word study. If only they had done a little bit more homework, they would see that in the New Testament, in a letter to the early church, Paul's writing to the Philippians, and he says, beware of dogs. So what does that text mean? Well, we have to do a full reading. He says, beware of dogs, and he explains who they are. And they're not an ethnic group. They're not simply unholy Gentiles. He says, beware of dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators that say you must be circumcised to be saved. You see, in this reference, in the Christian reference, calling someone else a dog, he is not using this as a derogatory term to another ethnicity. Instead, he's calling out his own people as legalistic Judaizers claiming circumcision is essential for salvation. In this case the term dog, yes it is a retort, yes it's a rebuke, but it is against abusive oppressive leadership and religious teachers. It's not it's not a, used in a racist terminology. So this is tough because it requires a bit more study and research to really grasp first century Middle Eastern context. So here's another tip. Find a good commentary, not just one that's an expositional commentary or devotional commentary. Find one that's actually going to use some exegesis in its commentary. In Aramaic, we find that Matthew's capture of of Jesus' message, don't give what's holy to dogs, is actually saying, don't give the holy meat, which is offered as a sacrifice to dogs. Robert, you can just unclip her. She's going to be fine. Now, the Jewish temple practice for animal sacrifices was deeply spiritual. There were a lot of other religions at the time who would just accept anything And we even find these religions today where they um, offer food to animals Because they believe that animals are either guardians or representatives of other dogs And they'll throw anything, they'll feed anything It's kind of like whatever we have is offered and it's fine It wasn't like that for the Jewish temple service it was deeply spiritual, deeply intentional, deeply specific. These animals that were brought to the temple had to be the best quality. They were raised from infancy to be without injury or blemish. And there were portions of that meat that the priests consumed as a spiritual practice. And the rest of that flesh was burnt up. It had deep, significant value. And so this idea, you wouldn't give a holy sacrifice to the dogs is followed by you wouldn't cast your pearls to the swine to the pigs it's not really stating anything revolutionary or novel instead jesus is stating the obvious what would be just matter of fact and common sense now today we take that verse and i hear it all the time of like Especially with youth leaders Girl, don't give your pearls to the swine (laughs) Right? And they're kind of implying Like, watch out, be cautious Don't give it up for somebody who's not going to appreciate you And love you and cherish you Which is good advice Girls, don't cast your pearls before swine But to be honest, that's not what Jesus had in mind When he said this phrase We have to be responsible with these texts. We have to be transparent with these texts. So let's go back and see what sets up this comment of Jesus saying, don't give what's holy to dogs, don't throw your pearls before the swine. So if you have your Bibles, open them to Matthew 7. And some of you who have Bibles with subtexts will see that right at the top of this chapter, its subtext says, Be careful when you judge. Matthew 7 starts off like this. If you judge other people, then you will find in the same manner you will face judgment. Indeed, you'll be judged by the same standards that you hold other people to. Jesus continues in verse 3 saying, Why is it that you see the dust, the speck in your brother or sister's eye? but you can't identify the plank in your own eye. You're criticizing this bit of sawdust between their lashes. How can you, with your obscured vision, with that huge flake that's covering your pupil, really be the one to advise them how to take that out? First, this type of criticism and judgment is a sham. Remove the plank from your eye and then perhaps, then perhaps you can see more clearly and help your brother or sister with that speck in their own eye. Then he continues, don't give precious things, sacred things to the dogs and don't cast your pearls before swine because the pigs will trample the pearls and they'll turn and attack you. This might seem kind of like a harsh transition. Why is God talking about eyeballs and specks and not being so harsh and laying judgment and then all of a sudden he uses these judgmental terms like dogs and pigs? We are so human. We read the text as if it's always about the other. And in this case, again, exegesis, hermeneutics help us navigate this passage you see Jesus teaching was all about flipping the script and here he's not saying hey be really careful valuing your time your words your breath don't waste it on people who are going to ignore you it's not a text focused on who we need to avoid who we need to identify as dogs or pigs. Instead, the punchline of this passage is about us. We need to read the scripture to change us. When Jesus says, hey, you're gonna cast your pearls before swine, you're gonna give what's holy to the dogs. He's saying we cannot be effective in our message. We cannot communicate what is sacred if we're not practicing what we preach, he's saying be cautious because when we adopt this judgmental and critical spirit, it devalues the beautiful message of the gospel. It devalues the pearl. It takes what is a precious sacrifice, which is Jesus, the sacrificed lamb of God, and it makes that powerful message ineffective. Because you can't expect people to see past your posture, past your positions, and just listen to your preaching. Your message is just going to get lost in every other self-help slogan. You know, you read them, you see them, five steps to turn your life around, five steps to turn your finances around, three steps to turn your relationship around two steps to advance your career. You're just gonna get lost in the din of everyone trying to speak into your life. And this complements another exegetical theme we find in the Gospel of Matthew is that Jesus is after the hypocrites. Sometimes he uses coded language and sometimes he's very blatant. But to exegete this text, we have to give a lot of weight to the scripture where it's found in. So are we preaching what we're not practicing? It's a waste of breath if our actions don't back it up. If our pride and arrogance gets in the way, we're undermining this precious message. If we can't speak with love, with grace, with humility, don't bother. This self-righteous, holier-than-thou attitude, the message won't land. Don't devalue this pearl of great price. Don't devalue the sacrificial lamb. Because if our talk doesn't match our walk, that is the punchline of this scripture. We might as well give what's precious to dogs and cast our pearls before swine. We don't wanna give anyone any cause, any more cause to, devout, to doubt this divine wisdom that we have. This truth that we believe brings triumph. If we aren't living transformed by that grace, if we aren't living with resurrection power, people will see us as incredible. The best sermons don't require any words because the medium is the message. So what will make our message stand out amongst all of the voices in this world, clamoring for your attention, is going to be our own stories of transformation, our own vulnerability, our own authenticity, our own humility, our own willingness to be self-professed sinners who were forgiven much, so that we can love much, and that we can't help but pay it forward. Jesus is teaching his disciples in this passage that he doesn't need us on his team to criticize and condemn people into changing. There is an enemy, the devil, that is already filling those shoes. He's a master at it. Jesus said, I've come not to condemn, but to save the world. That's who he's looking for, his ambassadors, his disciples to join him in. He has a victory over the one who accuses us. And so as ambassadors, as followers of children of God, we champion this message that he can overcome everything that weighs us down. Everything, all the guilt we feel accused of and responsible for. Our message needs to be not what you should do and what you shouldn't do, but our message is a simple one of, I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind. You see, I had this plank in my eye, but now I see. Our message needs to be the same as the first effective evangelist who said, come and meet this man who knew everything I did, everything I was guilty of, everything I would, wrong, everything that was messy, all my failures. Well, come and meet this man who fully knew me, yet fully loved me, that still believed I could be healed, who offered me a fresh start in a clean slate. Let's not give what's holy to the dogs and cast our pearls before swine, but let's actually speak to the power of Jesus' amazing
0: grace. Thank you for listening to OAC Vancouver's podcast. Learn more at oacvancouver.ca. If you're in Vancouver, join us for worship Saturdays at 11 a.m. at 5350 Bailey Street. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. God bless you and have a wonderful day.